Today, we're continuing our two-part series on reframing rejection, where my guest, author Jessica Van Rokel, doles out some much-needed wisdom and effective strategies for navigating the rejection we sometimes face or dish out to others. As believers, our responses have to be based on God's Word and God's character. So listen in as we conclude our fun and convicting conversation on reframing rejection, part two. You're listening to episode 20 of the Unperfect Podcast, where we talk about the tension we often feel, living out abundant lives in the now and the not yet. I'm your host, Shelley Sneed, and if you're feeling less than perfect, congrats, you're officially human, and you're not alone. Hope and probably some humor are coming up. Okay, so up to this point, we focus on ourselves, like how we handle rejection, um, reframing our mindset and perspective when we experience rejection. But there are probably things we do, maybe without even knowing it, that make other people feel rejected. So what are some things that we do that may cause others to feel rejected? And what can we do instead to lift and um, affirm them? Sure. So I think number one is this dismissing other people's opinions and insights. Mm. And I don't, I don't think we ever mean to do that intentionally. Sure. But it's easy to be like, ah, that that doesn't apply to me. Or, you know, I just really disagree. So I'm just going to ignore what they just said. You know, this is all happening internally. I just think we've got to get curious. We have to stay curious. And when we have a lack of curiosity about someone else's thoughts, especially if if they've hurt us or we disagree with them or we've had, you know, maybe sparks, not good sparks in the past. But if we have a lack of curiosity, I think that can make someone feel rejected. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying. Um, I mean, that requires humility, right? Because mm-hmm. when someone says something and I immediately think, that's ridiculous, you know, and, and I, I, I see this in uh, parenting too, because, you know, I just want to set my kids straight. What you're suggesting is what all the therapists suggest. Like you need to have a posture of curiosity. Um, and that, yeah. that gives them space to commu- keep communicating with you. Otherwise they're just going to kind of shut down. Yeah. As a parent of teens and young adults, it's scary to be curious because what if they're like making a decision I don't want them to make, but I'd rather know about it so that we can discuss and pray and all of that. So, so I think one of the first things we do is we dismiss others' opinions and how we can lift and affirm them is to get curious. The second thing that I, I think we do is we're, we're very focused on self. We're, Mm. we focus on ourselves far more than other people are, are, thinking about us. It's kind of like, I'm obsessed with, you know, my ugly feet and they're more worried about their forehead. And when we focus so much on self, our own comfort, we can make another person feel rejected because we don't see them. All we see is ourselves and we're expecting them to be our mirror of ourselves. We're expecting them to affirm us or make us feel good about our weaknesses. And, and we don't offer them the same gift. 
That is so beautiful. And I took a empathic listening course, actually had a whole interview about this a while back. But um, one of the things that we learned in this course is that when we're listening to someone tell their story, our natural bent is to just start thinking about our own story. Like, so as soon as you take a breath, I'm going to say, oh, well, this happened. I'm going to jump right into that. So I love that. Take the focus off of yourself. Like if someone's even talking to you, bring yourself back to the moment of their story so you can really empathize with where they are. Um, Because I would imagine that can make someone feel really rejected when they've kind of just poured their heart out and then you jumped right into what's going on with you. Yeah, actually, I've I've talked with people that, you know, I can tell that they spent more time thinking about their response. Right. Than what I was actually <laughs> saying. And I did feel rejected. And then I'm probably rejection sensitive because of my experiences <laughs> with it. And so I think about that and I, and I, it's really trying to stay aware of where our headspace is. Exactly. But that, that unwillingness to really listen in and focus on someone else can make them feel rejected. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and then the third one is, okay, so, and this is so elementary. I really thought that when I became a grown up, that I would leave the elementary playground issues behind. Yes. <laughs> I was <Yes>. really naive. <laughs> naive I was. Um, and then this seems simple, but, or simplistic, but the last thing I think that we do to make others feel rejected is by excluding others. Yes. It's really hard to make friends as adults, as moms, as women in communities, especially if, if you're new or you're moving into a community or maybe you're, you've joined a new church and all these friend groups are already established. And I think whether we've realized it or not, our exclusivity based on our comfort level with who we've known for so long can make someone else feel excluded. So what we can do is to remember what it's like to be new. Uh, And if you've never been new before, imagine what it would be like to not know anybody in the room. And, uh, and so I like to make it a practice of finding the person that is standing off or standing alone or someone new. And I like to draw them out. But I have to pay attention because it's comfortable just to to be with the people that I know so well and that I interact with. And that comfortability can inadvertently lead us to exclude someone else by accident. And so having eyes wide open to who's around me is a way that we can go and lift up and affirm someone else. That is beautiful. I love that. And that's, that is hard to do because, you know, sometimes you just want to be able to relax with Mm -hmm. what's familiar. Mm -hmm. You know, this person knows everything about me. And um, so it it really is an act of service to do what you're talking about, um, remembering what it was like. And I just got to say, you did this for me because um, the, the first writers conference that we, I think we were both at it at the same, I'm not sure if you were there that first year I was there, but I was just going through a really hard season and I wasn't there to make friends. I sat by myself in the back. I didn't try to talk to people. I was, uh, you know, that that's okay. It was a season mm-hmm. I was in. Yeah. But when I, that 
that year that I did meet you, you know, six months ago, like you were texting me every before every session, where are you sitting? But like, it, it was just, it really was, it was a whole different experience that conference yeah. when I had friends to experience it with. So yeah. you absolutely, you do that well. And um, thank you. That's a, that's a good, and just the whole remembering, like, remember when you were in a season, remember when this happened to you, like, that's another place that that rejection can be a tool, right? Because I can yeah. remember what that felt like, and I can go out of my comfort zone to keep someone else from having to experience that. What are some ways that our disordered view of rejection, which we've, you know, touched on a little bit here and there, shows up in our lives? Like, what does that look like? So we can recognize it. So perfectionism and people-pleasing are two obvious ways that I believe that disordered view of rejection shows up. But also, on the other hand, control and manipulation are two Uh. other ways that rejection can show up. And what I mean by that is that we can manipulate how people perceive us or we can manipulate the situation so we only ever show up as our best or right. as our perfect version of ourselves, um, We can also lean towards control where we're controlling the information that we give people rather mm. than letting them all the way in. We can actually even do that with God. We can, I mean, sure. I, I think it's hilarious. And I say hilarious, I can say hilarious because I'm laughing at myself that I try to hide things from God. Like I try to <laughs> <Right>. control <laughs> my relationship with God thinking that, well, I just have to come to him all perfect and prim and proper. But Hebrews 4, 12 through 16 talks about how everything is naked and exposed before him. Right. That's very vulnerable. But the way the disordered view of rejection comes up is it tries to eliminate vulnerability and it turns Mm. us more into control. We control information. We control ourselves. We try to control others. We can try and control the situation. So, so say you want to try something new, but you're afraid of rejection. Well, I'm going to be so controlling that maybe I'm only going to be involved in something that I know I'm going to be successful. I'm only going to be involved in something where I know that I have people's approval. So it eliminates risk from our life. And I think God calls us to this life of adventure And he wants us to step out of the boat, step on the water, keep our eyes focused on him or step into the fire and keep our eyes fixed on him. Uh, So again, fear of failure, you know, that's it. That's, this is all, these are all kind of tied together. I almost think that disordered view of rejection really impacts our life of faithfulness and trust. Mm. And that we struggle to trust. We struggle to believe that God is with us. We struggle with faithfulness. And so these behaviors of control and manipulation, perfectionism, fear of failure, people-pleasing, attention-seeking are all ways that impact our ability to trust God and to believe that he is for us in a negative way. Sure. And, you know, I just think back to the garden, like we've been doing this from the beginning, right? Hiding in our shame. And you're talking about the vulnerability Mm -hmm. and the authenticity and, um, you know, and God comes looking. That's what's the, that's what's so beautiful Mm -hmm. about that picture in the garden. Um, He knows where Adam is, but he still says, Hey, where are you? 
You know, it, yeah. it's not because he doesn't know where Adam is. It's because he wants to pull us out, pull us out from yes. whatever we're trying to hide behind. Um, but yeah, it does go back to trust. Like, do I really believe he is who he says he is? I'm who he says he's going to show up the way he says he will. Like, I, I really can leave my yeah. bare self out there on the altar if he is everything yeah. he says he is. And he's going to do everything he says he can do. Um, it's when it's, I, but I can see that control and manipulation, like, mm, nope, I'm gonna, yeah, I gotta have this outcome. Yeah, I can. That's very yes. convicting <laughs> for me. I know I'm convicted right here because God is like, okay, Jess, I'd like you to step out in faith. And I'm like, I don't think I can. Right. <laughs> so I'm convicted today. Just yes. saying. Yes. Okay, so here is the million-dollar question, Jessica. How do we break this cycle of rejection? We want to move on in freedom. Tell us some practical strategies or whatever. What can we do to get there? Okay, so it, I'm going to give two, two answers to this question, but they are connected. So okay. the first one is... is we have to be aware of what we're thinking. We have to be aware of how we're responding. If we don't have an awareness of what's going on in our mind, we can't take the next step, which is to stop the thought. So sure. for example, I'm going into, oh, into a new place. Um, let me think, uh, the gym which I don't do. So that's a terrible one. I, I was just going <laughs> on to a new board of directors. That's something, <laughs> that's something that I do. And, um, <laughs> I shouldn't use the gym one because I don't go to the gym. <laughs> I know. Thinking. Gym? Um, What's but, a gym? <laughs> I don't know. It's a place, but, but I do get asked to be on board. So say, okay. say for example, I'm been voted on to a new board of directors and if I'm stuck in that perceived rejection place, if I'm not aware of what my thoughts are thinking, I can't stop them. But we can't just stop a thought. It doesn't work that way. Have you, if you've ever right. tried to stop a yes. thought, it's like it's like a record player that gets stuck and it just goes round and round right. and round and round. We actually have to replace the thought. Sure. So be aware. Stop the thought. Replace the thought. Well, Jess, what do we replace it with? Well, I, I write about four different lenses in my book. And these four lenses are the tools that I use to replace those thoughts that tell me I'm not good enough, they don't like me, um, uh, they just like glared at me and I'm just a terrible person in their mind. Or, boy, you know, the last time I tried this, I was really burned on purpose. I don't know if I really want to step out into this. What if it happens again? So we have these thoughts. Well, these four lenses have really helped me reframe my perspective and retrain my thoughts. Mm. And I'll just give a brief overview. But the first one is this, I call it humble awe. And mm. it's really having that reverential fear of the Lord not the fear that um, I'm a hippo in that arcade game and the person has a hammer and they're trying to smash the hippo's head. <laughs> yes. Not that kind of a fear. <laughs> but the fear that, wow, God calls the stars by name and he knows the hairs on my head. Wow. Right. He is so amazing. He 
he causes the sun to rise and the sun to set. And yet he cares about the fact that I need him just to get through my day. That type of humble awe of putting God in first place, of knowing that that he created the sky, he created the world, and yet he created me. And he cares intimately about me. And to put him in first place, to seek after his opinion, to make sure that my goal is to please him. That's humble awe. And that has helped me replace those thoughts of especially the people pleasing ones. Like, I really want your approval. What, what can I do to get it? Oh, wait a minute, God, what can I do to gain? You know, I already have your approval. How can I walk in that? Oh, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to have your joy. Then the second one is this mutual delight is this belief that God delights in us. This belief that that we bring him pleasure just how we are because he loves us and how he wants us to delight in him. And the Hebrew word for delight is shafat, and it means to bend toward. And I love that that picture, to think that God is bending towards Mm. me and that he wants me to bend toward him. And I think of, you know, when we see a cute little baby and we just bend over and we just go, oh, you're just so (laughs) adorable. You're so precious. I just want to hold you close and to think that God is doing that for you and for me, that mutual delight. And he wants me to delight in him. That is such a beautiful picture. Isn't that a great picture? I think of that a lot when I, especially when I'm going into new situations or maybe I'm already in a situation and I had a disagreement or difficulty with another person that I have to interact with on a regular basis. I like to remind myself that that person, we might have an issue between us, but God is holding me close and he's, he delights in me, even if that person does not. So there's, that's how I replace those thoughts. And then there's another one called uh, dependable, depending trust and that trust. And, and I qualified it with dependable trust because we trust God, but do we believe that he's dependable? Oh yeah, that's good. And he is dependable. He's worthy of our trust. He is steadfast and sure. So I like to remind myself of that. And then the last one is aligned surrender. And mm. we can surrender, but we can we can choose whether we're going to be aligned with him or not. You know, it's like that begrudging surrender. Fine, God, you said no. <laughs> well, I guess, but I disagree with what you did, you know, right. that type of a thing. But to have that aligned surrender where our heart is truly submitted to, to him and his current will for us in this exact moment. And so that's how I break the cycle of rejection. That's how I've reframed rejection. And it doesn't matter if, if we've had a rejection between um, husband and wife or, or parent to child, these steps work for all kinds, all the kinds of rejection. And we can apply them to every rejection we face because it's really aligning our heart with who God is and remembering that we are his, regardless of our interactions with our family members or our friends or coworkers. 
Exactly. And I love just to be able to have those lenses and those perspectives. Again, this seems so basic, but we have to be intimately walking with Christ. Like we can't surrender with that, you know, aligned surrender. If, if, you know, we read our Bible a week ago or we're not pray, you know, we're not yeah. praying faithfully. We're not, um, you talk about in your book, practicing his presence, which that is a big, huge thing I'm working on in my life right now, because mm-hmm. I've spent so much time like having a quiet time in the morning. And then I never thought about it again the rest of the day. Like I really want right. to be in his presence and that's how he's going to renew my mind. And you talk about praying through the scriptures, praying scriptures back to God. I, I love all of that. And that's all something that I'm working on to just reframe my thought patterns. I like to ask my guests this one question every time before we get off, because this podcast is all about living in that tension of the now and the not yet. We talked about it a lot. Like you can't live a perfect life here on earth. So (laughs) tell our, we've both tried. So we tell our listeners, Jessica, what is one thing you would, if you could go back and hang out with your younger self, what would you say to her? I've been thinking about this. I'm glad you told, you warned me that you asked your guests this question. <laughs> Everyone says that. Um, I, I have to tell you, I have, I have four things I would tell myself. I wrote them down, but really at the core is I would go back and tell my younger self to live with arms wide open to people and to God. Rejection has caused me to be so self-protecting that I I find myself, I found myself just walking, you know, with closed heart. Um, no one can see me, but I'm like squeezing my shoulders, like in a defensive position. Right. I think I would tell my younger self to live with arms wide open. That I God is big that. enough to handle any pain that I experience from rejection. And that he doesn't leave me alone in it. But he wants me to, if I live with my arms wide open, that's also a position of praise. It's also Mm. a position of vulnerability. It's a position of um, acceptance. And when I believe I'm accepted, then I can offer that acceptance to other people. And then in turn, they can, I can then truly mean when I say God accepts you too, not just me. Right. That's what I would tell my younger self. Live with arms wide open. I love it. That is such a beautiful picture of just risk taking, but also a position mm-hmm. to love. Like you can't you can't pick and choose, right? If you if you don't take the risk, you don't get to experience the the joys of of the love. Um, that's yes. beautiful. I love it. Okay, so tell our listeners where they can find you. And also, if you don't mind telling about, um, Jessica offers something free um, for you guys on her website. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but can you tell us a little bit about both of those things? Yeah, so I can be found at welcomegrace.com. And there on the homepage, there's a free offering. It's three-day reframing rejection challenge. And that's for subscribers free. It's a free gift to my subscribers to my grace notes. And what grace notes is, is it's a twice a month devotional that comes out with some thoughts, um, a scripture, some thoughts about the scripture and then a prayer. And so I send that out free twice a month. And this three day reframing rejection challenge is a downloadable 
worksheet plus video teaching. And then just with no strings attached on reframingrejectionbook.com, which is also accessible on my website, there is a one-page downloadable gift, no strings attached. You don't have to subscribe. You can just sign up and get it. But it's reframing rejection with wisdom from Philippians. And what it is, mm -hmm. is I talk about, I give a brief definition of each type of rejection, how to reframe it, and then how what scripture you can use to refocus your thought on that type of rejection. So, Oh, I love it. I love it. I need to go get that mm -hmm. myself and hang it on the fridge <laughs> yeah. or stick it in my Bible. And I get her grace notes. And what I love about them too, is they're not super long. Like it's a kind of concise devotion with the prayer. It's beautiful and it's always very helpful. So y'all go get it. Go get her book, Reframing Rejection. It's wonderful. She is a fun and beautiful storyteller, y'all, with a deep, rich fountain of practical and biblical wisdom. Um, so you can grab that book. I'll also put the link there in the show notes. And Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today at the Unperfect Podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I had so much fun talking with you, Shelly. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick rating and review. It only takes a second and it helps other unperfect people like us find the podcast so they can be encouraged too. As always, I'm praying you have a blessed week and are able to see glimpses of glory in the now and the not yet of your unperfect life. See you next time. Unperfect a good word for life here in the now and the not yet, mentioned in 1 John 3, 2. When life deals us imperfections, we're often quoted Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for our good, or James 1, 2, that we should count it all joy when we face trials. And while these scriptures are absolutely true, they don't promise lives absent of disappointment or pain. So how do we live in that tension? Well, today I'm offering some help hope and healing in Embracing Unperfect, a seven-day dive to fully living the life you've been dealt. You'll receive seven daily emails addressing obstacles that hinder our ability to live fully in the lives we've been given. Each day offers biblical insights, actionable steps, and additional resources for deeper exploration, and also a recording if you want to dive in on the go. Seven days, seven minutes, seven dollars. For the cost of a latte, you'll be getting more than a caffeine boost. You'll get a taste of freedom to move from resistance to acceptance, from hiding to authenticity, from comparison to contentment, from control to surrender, from regret to hope, from insignificance to purpose, and from worry to peace. So check out the link to order today and let's dive into embracing unperfect together.